It is time for the word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege of worship. We thank you that you have provided this place. And we're grateful, most of all, for that place of quiet rest, near to the heart of God, that place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. We thank you for this place of worship, where after a long, hard week we can come, come he disconsolate, where'er he languish, come to the mercy seat fervently kneel, here bring your wounded heart, here tell your anguish, for earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. Father, your children have come, and they have come with their thirsty souls waiting to be watered. They have come hungry, waiting for the bread of life. We pray, Father, that you will feed us until we want no more. Use me, Father, as a blessing to your children. May we all leave this place this morning edified, uplifted, motivated, consecrated, dedicated, committed, and purposeful in our hearts. That it doesn't matter what happens to us, we're going to hold on to King Jesus. Please, Lord, do far more for us now than we're able to pray, ask, or imagine. In Jesus' name, let everybody say amen and amen. Little boy was weary of going to church. And he complained to his mother that he was tired of the same old deacon praying the same old prayer. Every time the pastor would preach and ask for the deacon to render prayer, he would pray the same old prayer. Lord, move the cobweb out of my life. This went on time and time again. Each time the preacher would call for the old deacon to render prayer in devotion, he would launch out with the same familiar prayer that he always prayed, Lord... Remove the cobweb out of my life. So one morning, tired of the same prayer, uh, this boy uh, made up his mind that whether he wanted it or not, when the deacon prayed the same old stale prayer, he would have some satisfaction for all of his frustration. It was soon to be the time of prayer. When the preacher, as usual, called on the old deacon to render a prayer of praise to the Lord. As the deacon began his familiar fashion uh, to hum and moan, uh, this poor lad had experience enough. So as the deacon said, Lord, remove the cobweb from out of my life. And he would pray in the old southern a Baptist tone, Lord, remove the cobweb out of my life. 
And as he would pray, Lord, remove the cobweb out of my life, the little boy got up and he lifted up his voice and he shouted on top of his voice, Lord, kill the spider. Lord, kill the spider. <laughs> you know, uh, It's humorous, but it is serious. And I, I see where we run into the same problems. Constantly praying, Lord, remove the cobweb. When the real prayer that we need is for God to kill the spider. For if God kills the spider, there is no need to pray. Lord, remove the cobwebs. This morning, I want to talk about keep holding on. Jesus asked a very thought-provoking and very deep theological question. When he asked, when the Son of Man cometh, Will he find faith on the earth? Throughout the world, the attrition rate in the church is atrocious. There are many persons who can't hold on any longer. So much is going on. And one of the signs that Jesus spoke about, he said, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There are many persons of this morning who have given up, given up on the church, given up on their faith, given up, completely given up. And some are just holding on by a thin piece of thread that can snap at any time. What is it that keeps you still anchored in the Lord? And I am assuming that because you're in the church, you are anchored in the Lord. But then that assumption is wrong. For there are many persons who are more anchored in the church than they are anchored in Jesus. Uh, somebody said that we stay in the church not so much because of what we know, but because of who we know. Many persons are still coming to church because their friends are still coming. Some only come because their parents still come and their wives still come and their husbands still come and it looks too bad if they would stop coming. They still come because the people whom they love and care for and are in close association with still come to church. The question is, will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the cloud unfold, their winds of strife. When the strong tide lift and the cable strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain? Jesus spoke a parable and he said that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Hello somebody. You know, Jesus was that kind of preacher who would not beat around the bush, he would hit the nail square on the head. Biblical scholars and theologians who are familiar with eschatological themes 
of the book of Daniel and the Revelation would have come across two concepts that are of eternal value and paramount importance to the people of God living in the last days of earth's history. There are two chronological concepts of the apocalyptic drama and that is the time of the end and the end of time. The time of the end and the end of time. Every good Seventh-day Adventist ought to familiarize himself or herself with those concepts. Ah, uh, one night a house caught fire. The young boy was forced to flee to the roof for his life. The father stood on the ground below with an outstretched hand calling to his son, Jump! Son, I'll catch you. He knew the boy had to jump to save his life. All the boy could see, however, was the flame and the smoke and the darkness. As can imagine, he was afraid to leave the roof. His father kept yelling, Jump! I will catch you. But the boy protested, Daddy, I can't see you. The father replied, But I can see you. And that's all that matters. You know, sometimes when we experience certain things in our lives, it doesn't matter who you are. There are certain things that will bombard you and buffet you and beat you up and beat you down. There are certain things that comes to you whether you are affluent or whether you have influence, whether you are poor, whether you are educated or uneducated. There are certain things that are common to all of us who are fighting the good fight of faith. And sometimes when we encounter troubles and trials and tragedies and fiascos and and all kinds of things. It, it, it takes a leap of faith. And, and life sometimes forces us to the roof. And all we can see is the flames of trials and, and persecutions and difficulties. And all we can experience is the darkness of this world. But we can hear our father's voice saying, Jump! I will catch you. And we protest, Daddy, I can't see you. But God says, I can't see you. All you need to do is trust your Heavenly Father. These are difficult days that try men's soul. And how we live our Christian life is of critical importance. God is watching over us. And he's not doing it from a distance. Come on and say amen. <laughs> the agnostics say there may be a God. But he's unconcerned about me. He's unconcerned about my personal affairs. Yes, he may exist. But he's not concerned about me. Seventh-day Adventists are a privileged set of people. And I found that out some years ago when I read myself into the church. Privileged set of people. And of such, God has entrusted us with the holy oracles of truth for this time. And there is precious truth and there is present truth. Hello somebody. 
And this is the time not so much for precious truth because almost everybody in Christendom knows the precious truth. But this is the time for present truth. Preach the truth in season and out of season. We're called upon today not to be Baptist preachers or Anglican preachers or uh, Methodist preachers or some other kind of preacher. We're called to be preachers, Seventh-day Adventist preachers. Preach the third angel's message. Preach it with power and preach it with conviction and preach it with clarity. Preach it! T.D. Jakes can preach it. Hello, somebody. I have no problem with the man. But he can preach the three angels' messages. And so, as God's children this morning, we have a responsibility. The earth is swiftly coming to an end. The end is upon us. And Ellen White says the final moments shall be rapid ones. You know, there is a certain kind of spiritual lethargy that I've noticed amongst God's children. And in Matthew 25, the Bible says that the five wise virgins and the five otherwise virgins slept. They all slumbered and slept. That spiritual lethargy. Hello, somebody. There is a certain kind of complacency and we've got it made and we can relax now because we have accomplished all that we should accomplish. But that is a spiritual deception. And while we sit in our ease and sit back and relax and can smile at our accomplishment, we've got to remember that as much as Jesus talked about His coming and the importance of being ready, He also talks about His delaying His coming. He talks about His coming being delayed as much as He talks about coming quickly. Hello, somebody. And all of us know that had the church given the message that she should have given, Jesus would have come a long time ago. Oh yes, if we had given the trumpet that certain sound, Christ would have come. But we refused to give it the certain sound. And so His coming has delayed. Throughout the Bible, He talks about His coming being delayed. But over there in Luke chapter 18, Jesus spoke a parable. And he said, and he spake a parable unto them to this end, that they ought always to pray and not faint, saying, there was in a city a judge who feared not God and regarded not man. There was a widow in that city, and she came off unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I feared not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest she wear me out by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear. What the unrighteous judge saith? And shall not God avenge his elect that cry to him day and night? And yet he is long-suffering over them. I say unto you, 
that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? That's a question for all of us to contemplate this morning. When Jesus comes, will he find me faithful? Hello, somebody. Ah, I've come to realize that my salvation is my personal responsibility. I'm going to get dressed and go to church Sabbath morning. And I'm going to take part in the Sabbath school. And, and I'm going to serve in an office if they give me an office. And, and I'm going to be there doing what I'm supposed to do. But then I must understand that I have a responsibility. Not just to serve my church and to turn up during the worship services. I have a responsibility. And that is to work out my own salvation in fear and trembling. Come on and say praise the Lord. Because you see the time has come when we must understand salvation is an individual thing. It's good to have the label on our back and on our front and all part of us Seventh Day Adventists. But it is better to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, the question of faith is so crucial. It's all well and good when everything is rosy and hunky-dory to talk about faith. I can come to church and smile, a broad smile when I get that promotion. I can come to church and smile from here to downtown Kingston when I get that bonus. I can come here and smile when I get that degree and I can smile when I accomplish all I'm supposed to accomplish. But when life deals me a deadly blow and throws me a curveball, what do I do when my dream turns to ashes? What do I do when death comes creeping through the door and takes somebody that I love and care about so much? What happens when I go to the doctor and he says to me, you got something terminal and it's just a matter of days before you bite the dust, kick the bucket, give up the ghost, expire. When, I, when, when life hands me a bitter lemon, what do I do with it? When the son of man cometh, shall he find faith upon the earth? You know, in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, 1, 2, 3. What book did I say? Daniel, the 12th chapter, and verses 1 through to 3. Bible talks about the time. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince who standeth. For the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble. Such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that same time. And at that time. Thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found written in the book. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. And they that are wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness 
as the stars forever and ever. And let God's children say, praise the Lord. There is the time coming, such as never was. You know, I was reading something in the Spirit of Prophecy. And Ellen White says that many of the saints will fall asleep in Christ prior to the time of trouble. Because if God allowed them to pass through that time, they would lose their soul salvation. I don't know about you, but as I look around me, when I look at what is happening, when I turn on my television, when I turn to the newspaper, when I turn on the electronic uh, uh, gadgets and, 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 and take a peek at what's going on in the world, my heart sometimes, very often, uh, sinks within me. And I wonder to myself, if, if God does not come soon, what is going to happen? He said in his word, for the elect's sake, he's going to cut those days short in righteousness. I'm seeing the wheel of faith on the chariot of God's children wobbling. There are many who used to be so focused and so faithful who are now distracted. The cares of this world and the, uh, and the trials of life have gotten to some people. They are questioning God. If God is so good, why is there so much bad? If God is so good and so loving, why is there so much trouble in the world? Billy Graham's wife contemplating the troubles and the trials and the sickness in this world. She said if God does not come soon, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. What a troublesome world in which we have come to live. People are calling light darkness and calling darkness light. People are calling error truth and calling truth error. People are no longer immoral. They are amoral, not knowing right from wrong. Everything goes and you wonder what's going to happen to God's children. But Daniel said at that time, Michael shall stand up. Stand up. For if you stand up for Jesus, he will stand up for you. The theme that Jesus is here presenting is that we must learn to endure. Endure trials. Endure hardship. Endure pain. Endure difficulties. Endure all kinds of calamities and atrocities. You will be victimized and you will be ostracized and, and marginalized. But hold on. Hold on. Hebrews 11 talks about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. But did you know? That sin, whatsoever is not of faith, is sin. Ah, good Simpson Adventists will tell you the transgression of the law is sin. But the Bible student will tell you that whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And so you can keep the Ten Commandments 
and be morally upright. But if you doubt the power of God to come through for you when you are beaten up and beaten down and buffeted and bombarded, if you doubt the power of God to take you through the trials and the tribulations you have committed sin. Ellen White says worry is sin. Oh. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. When you worry, you commit sin. When the devil brings the test and the trials upon you, when you find yourself broke and the bills are high, you don't know how you're going to get through this one. And the devil says, look at you. You have been worshiping God all your life. You got baptized when you were young. You lived a good life. You forsook the world. You didn't drink. You didn't smoke. You didn't womanize. You, 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 you didn't do all any of those things. And look at you. Look at your life. Look at who you are. Look at what you have become. And he holds up the things of the world and said, Look what I can give you. If you just compromise a little, not much, a little, I'm not asking you to do anything big, but you feel like you can't because you're a good Adventist. And you scratch your head, you pace the floor. You wonder, should I or should I not? Then you begin to stress. You begin to worry. Worry is sin. Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Have you sinned this week? Though you have kept as far as you're concerned, the Ten Commandments. Did you worry any time this week? Did you doubt the power of God this week? I didn't come here to lay a guilt trip on you. I came here to tell you there is more to Christianity than Ten Commandments. There is more to religion than Sabbath keeping. There is more to your relationship than vegetarian lifestyle. There is more to your walk with God than modest dressing. There is more to this thing than just turning up on time. Because you can still be in the temple doing the religious things, going through the forms, going through the rituals, going through the ceremonies. Yet, when Jesus comes, you hear from his lips depart. 
For me, I know you're not. Not because you weren't morally upright. Not because you weren't morally dignified. Not because you weren't a good person. But because you neglected the most important things. When the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Pharisees killed Jesus went home and kept the Sabbath. Religious people do dangerous things and feel alright. George Muller said God delights to increase the faith of his children. I say and deliberately Trials, difficulties, and sometimes defeat are the very food of faith. Trials, difficulties, and defeat sometimes are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and care for us in developing more uh, that faith which he is seeking to strengthen in us. There is a kind of success, feel good faith that I see amongst God's people that I need to talk about. There is nothing which says because you are not successful and not making it means that there is sin in your life and something in your life needs correction. We've got some people in Zion who will make you feel bad because things are not going the way they should go. But I've learned that sometimes the people who are closest to God, they have the most difficult lives to live. Mm. <laughs> you see, there are some things God will allow me to go through. He will not allow you to go through because He can't trust you with certain things. God can trust me with diabetes and cancer. But He couldn't trust you because the very day you heard you got it, that would be the end of you. You would curse God and die. You would give up your faith. What God can do with some of us, He cannot do with some of us. Come on and say amen. And so, when the devil came up to the, 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 the meeting, a special meeting up in glory, he said, devil, where are you coming from? devil said, God, I've been globe-trotting. He said, uh, have you considered my servant Job? He said, ha, ha, ha. Job, uh, I've been taking a good look at him. I notice he serves you, but he only serves you because he has material possession. He only serves you because his children are doing well. He only serves you because his business is doing well. He only serves you because all is going well. And God said, hey, that's not true. If you touch him, he will still serve me. The devil said, no, no, no. If I touch him, he's going to curse you. God said, no, watch this. 
Do him all you want to do him. But don't you take his life. Oh by the way can I tell somebody in the house this morning. That in order for the devil to kill you. He has got to get permission from God. I cannot tell you this morning even if the devil is going to afflict your body, your soul, and your mind, and even your spirit. He has got to get permission from God. So right now where I am in my walk with God, anything that happens to me is a God's permissive will. If he says cancer hit his body, that is God's permissive will. If I'm driving down the street and there is an accident, that is God's permissive will. Anything that happens to me is God's permissive will the devil can't touch me if God does not permit him for him to touch me he has got to ask my father cannot touch him cannot touch him the time is gone if I preach the second service will catch me here and I don't mind because I love to preach. Hold on. Whatever happens to you, hold on. Military plane transporting some cargoes from one base. To the other, when the co-pilot discovered that the door of the plane was not properly shut. And he got up from his seat and went and tried closing the door of the plane when the, the air sucked him out. And I don't know how he thought he could go fix the door of a flying plane. While he was being sucked out, he held onto the cable that attached the door to the plane. And he held on for dear life. The plane was flying. There was nothing that the pilot could do. He held on to that cable until blood started flowing from his hand. Pain rocking him left, right, and center. But the pilot kept shouting, Hold on, I'm looking for somewhere to land this plane. They were far away from proper landing strip. But as the pilot looked through his windshield, he could see a cornfield coming up. He said, if I'm going to save my colleague's life, I've got to land this plane. While he was looking and thinking and struggling what to do with the plane, the other pilot was holding on to the cable by now. The cable had cut through his flesh and was cutting through the bones in his hands. But he kept holding on. With tenacity in his fist and with tenacity in all part of him, he kept holding on. 
Hold on, said the pilot. I'm looking for somewhere to land this plane. Hold on. It's going to be rough, but hold on. It's going to be difficult, but hold on. If you're going to live, you've got to hold on. With tears streaming down the soldier's eyes. And everybody know, big man don't cry. Who said that? Tough, rough soldier. Pain licking him. And he was holding on. And the pilot said, I'm going to bring this baby down. And he came down into the cornfield. And you know that's no landing strip. And the plane bumped and bumped. And the pilot was tossed to and fro. And, and he was holding on. And skin, trash and trees and twigs and stumps and all kind of things. Knocking him and beating him up. But he was still holding on. Because he knew if I could stand a chance. If I would stand a chance. I got to hold on. By now he was torn up. Uniform torn off. Flesh torn up. Hands torn up. Every part of him torn. He was torn, torn, torn to pieces. But he kept holding on. When the ordeal was over, and they raided for an helicopter and they got him and took him to the hospital. 550 stitches. When he came to and he was interviewed. They asked him, how did you make it? He said, I kept hearing my colleague's voice in my head. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I don't know about you this morning. But I wish I could stay a little longer and preach. But all I'm saying to you is, regardless of what happens to you, Hold on. Battered and bruised. Hold on. Fed up and frustrated. Hold on. Bombarded and buffeted. Hold on. Rejected and dejected. Hold on. Sad and sorrowful. Hold on. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Hold on. Somebody said you're wasting time. Talking about church and talking about God and talking about Sabbath and all that nonsense. But I say to you, hold on. You might even have lost a loved one not so long ago. And the pain is still fresh in your heart. I say to you, weeping may endure for a night. But joy comes in the morning. Andrews, hold on. Brothers and sisters, hold on. Saints of God. Hold on. 